Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now. Or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, all mission control decans. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Here's a question. Who doesn't want to belong? to something bigger than themselves, whether it's feeling like you belong to a family, uh, to a an organization, to a, a religion of some sort. Uh, for most people, this is a fundamental primal drive, and there's a bonus. It's cool to be a member of something bigger than yourself, but it's even cooler to many people if the thing that you are a member of is exclusive, if not everybody can be as special or as enlightened as you. It's actually, it's a, that drive is a huge problem with the world today. The intrigue of it, it makes you feel alive. It's the basis of so many works of fiction, including things like, obviously, as, as you'll see when we, uh, when we explore today's topic, folks, obviously the game, the 1997 film with uh, Michael Douglas, and of course, the fantastic Foucault's Pendulum by Umberto Eco. Today's story is a story of curated conspiracy, part performance art, and part Silicon Valley startup. 
part push for genuine adventure and part push for cold, hard cash. We're talking about something called the Latitude Society. Here are the facts. Here's, here's what happens when you join this. Just put, as we explore this, put yourself in the mind of a person experiencing this, and you'll get a sense of how cool it is at the beginning. Well, yeah, I think the first thing you have to do is imagine that you are yourself doing whatever mundane things it is that you do every day, no matter how much you even enjoy. Like we enjoy our jobs. We, we like doing this, but we have to, we have a regimented schedule where we do this over and over and over again. This is what we do. We take care of our families. We, you know, eat, we blah, 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 blah. All the things you do, imagine that. And now imagine that you get an invitation to this thing called the Latitude Society. And the way you get the invitation is very important. And it, 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 it generates so much intrigue in someone like you, like me, doing their everyday things that it is, there's, there's almost no way to say no. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it because it comes in the form of a friend uh, who is essentially inviting you into this kind of shared experience uh, with an invitation, a actual physical invitation that takes the form of a blank credit card in a sleeve like you might get at a fancy hotel or maybe even not a fancy hotel for your key card that's slid into those little paper sleeves or the Wi-Fi code is written on. Only this sleeve has a strange kind of geometric symbol on it that's embossed and, and kind of a little shiny and, and, uh, and, you know, bespoke looking. So it's already like you reeks of entry. And you pull out the actual card, and it looks like a blank credit card. There's a website. There's an invitation code uh, where you flip – when you flip it over to the part where there would normally be like the signature, uh, it says absolute discretion which is sort of a buzz phrase that we're going to hear repeatedly in this story. It's almost a mantra, absolute discretion. Uh, once you go to the website, you enter your code, you get a selection of, of different appointment times, and you lock yours in, then you show up to an address in the Mission neighborhood of San Francisco. At this point, um, you will have an experience that feels very through the looking glass, very Alice in Wonderland. And uh, if you have not had this spoiled for you, uh, warning spoilers ahead. What happens <laughs> when you open the door? The website for this organization has a, has a kind of decadent description of this saying, through the door and behind a thick curtain was the flux chamber, an automated hallway with only one way through, down a wooden slide at the base of an ornate Victorian fireplace mantle, awaiting the visitor at the bottom of the slide was a lobby area with one red neon sign reading, shh, and then three doors. So you have, you know, you already have this really, this really cool, almost David Lynchian vibe, whatever door you choose. You'll go through an increasingly narrow passage surrounded by uh, all the walls are padded with black carpet. And this is called the dark maze. You hear music. You hear a susurrus whispering voices, whispering voices. And that's what guides you through this completely dark labyrinth. You're monitored by cameras the whole time, which is important later. Uh, and then finally, you go through this crawl space and find yourself in what they call the library chamber. Uh, this is surrounded, this, this is really cool if you see it. It's surrounded by all these 
bookshelves. And then there's one book on a pedestal, and it's called The Book of the Latitude. First, this book appears to be blank. It does, and it's important to note that all of the books in the room are the same book. It's the same book that is open with blank pages sitting there in front of you. Um, And, you know, you just curiosity is going to lead you to, like Ben said, open it up and you find that the pages are blank. But then almost out of nowhere, you'll hear a voice. And then these pages, or at least the pages that are that the book is open to begin filling up with the words that are being spoken to you. So it's almost as if the book is being written in your presence in that moment. And that's on, on the left hand side, you'll get the words being written out. And then on the right hand side, you'll actually see an illustration start to form a video of sorts playing somehow within this book. Yeah, I mean, it really is sort of an interactive theater experience. If anyone's familiar with uh, the company Punch Drunk, who did the, well, continues to do, I think probably during COVID, it's on hiatus, but hopefully we'll be back soon. Uh, an incredibly uh, beautifully curated kind of theatrical experience in New York. And I think there's other versions, but it's called Sleep No More. And it's essentially like an interactive theatrical experience where as you're progressing through this actual physical space, you can choose your path and things happen happen based on which path you choose, et cetera. Uh, this, this really reminds me of that. But the using whatever theatrical projection technology uh, that they use, essentially what's formed before your very eyes is this like mythos, this sort of like base kind of fable that uh, is at the center of the Latitude Society's kind of lore. Uh, and you can actually witness this for yourself um, in a couple of places. There's a really good article on Vice uh, about it called My Year in San Francisco's $2 million Startup, uh, and also the documentary Bright Axiom, where you can actually see it visually. And it's, it's very much worth a watch. Yep. In Bright Axiom is uh, the name of the documentary. You may also be interested in the Institute. Uh, be warned, they are, they, mm, they're somewhere between documentary and long-form infomercial. But th- this fable is important to the Latitude Society. It's one of the first uh, pieces of literature uh, that people experience when they interact with the society. It's often recited before new adventures or new society meetings, which they call praxis. I want to point this out just before we go any further, and I just want to make sure everyone understands. Everything we're describing to you here, these are physical experiences. This is not some virtual reality thing. This is not some web-based experience that you're going through. You are physically going through those doors down the slide, looking at this book, filling up with pages, hearing this fable for the first time. It's all real, real time. You just experiencing it. And then after you have experienced this fable, you are sent off on something similar to a scavenger hunt. You're, you're on a mission in the mission. Uh, you go, you, you do things like go to a bar and have a coded conversation with a bartender and you get this special coin and you uh, end up using it to participate in an arcade game, which leads you on to another to another experience. It's all very just so this entire thing is an introduction to the Latitude Society. What is the Latitude Society? Well, it is a self-described secret order dedicating itself to expanding human consciousness and it's uh, vaguely locked in a in a conflict with forces of darkness who are trying to stop the society from growing and expanding and sending their message out. Pretty exciting, right? Pretty exciting way to moonlight. 
So what happens? Once you pass this first adventure, you are inducted as a full-time member and you get access to something called the Nightbook. The Nightbook is like a social network platform. And this is where people get together and they, they try to decipher the various mysteries of praxis and philosophy. Uh, they also have, like you said, Matt, the emphasis here is on in-person experience. So they also have town hall events. You can, you can see um, various video of this. Uh, they also had dedicated talks and meetings. This was throughout the San Francisco area. And active members of the community could mingle and they could openly talk about the future of society with one another. Because the thing is, there's, there's a fight club vibe here that helps with the exclusivity. The society has four kind of guiding principles. Number one, by far, is absolute discretion, meaning you're not supposed to talk about latitude in front of people who are not involved with latitude, unless you want to invite them, in which case you give them one of those little cards. And really, you know, it feels like it's very secretive, but it also, it makes sense logically to avoid spoilers, right? This is all about surprise. And as Noel said, that that phrase absolute discretion was embossed on the slip that you would get that the card was inserted into. So that's a, your first your first interaction with the Latitude Society after someone, you know, quietly says, hey, can you keep a secret is the phrase absolute discretion. And here's the thing about that phrase. The people or the creators of the Latitude Society took great pains to make sure that the member, the user, understood that that phrase has two different meanings. And one of them was was essentially saying that you will be able to have good judgment in what you decide to share, what information you decide to give out. The other one is essentially just implying secrecy. So it's both of those things, right? That's That's what Ben's talking about. You get to choose as a member who else becomes a member. And they had, and like, uh, like we were saying, there are several other tenants that were very important to Latitude Society. Yeah, value we value experiences over things is uh, that's the second tenant, and I think that's something a lot of people can agree with. Uh, especially, you'll find uh, this belief common in people who have lived a long time. People who are at the end of their lives tend to enjoy the experiences they had or the memories of those more so than the gadgets they accrue. So I get that one. Third tenet, we give in order to become part of a story greater than ourselves. Think about it. What does giving mean there? We'll get to it. Uh, and the fourth is freedom from dogma. So the, the person who invites you is thereafter referred to as your ascendant, and you are their descendant. It's, it's a bit like a less sinister version of an upline or downline in a multi-level marketing scheme. And I want to be very clear, the Latitude Society is not multi-marketing. Um, no, any, and it's also not Nexium. And it's also not Nexium. Anybody who is a member of this, they don't, for instance, have a quota of other people they had to invite or anything like that. Uh, but you want people to be in on this adventure. Uh, so after you finish this first mission, they call it book one, then you are given a code word that gets you further access on the website, and then you get the opportunity to invite other people, theoretically as many as you would like. So just like Foucault's Pendulum, the majority of people involved knew this was a game, but felt it was more fun and more immersive 
if you took it seriously. So many people did. And it did not hurt that the group responsible for creating the Latitude Society, named Nonchalance, was staffed by very talented creatives. They made it compelling. You know what I mean? It didn't seem, it, it, it seemed real. It felt real, and in a way it was. I also wanted to point out one tiny detail from the experiential part, the first kind of down the rabbit hole visit to that mission, uh, you know, uh, facility, I guess we would call it. Uh, there is a part when you go to that window where it says shh in the neon, there's like kind of like a shrouded figure behind sort of, um, I guess, frosted glass. You're not quite sure if it's even a real person or not. Um, and like a drawer pops out and you're instructed to place all of your per- personal possessions in that drawer. So it's got this like inherent kind of decoupling from like, you know, the humdrum day-to-day of, of, of existence and identity, not to mention things like, you know, your phone and all of that. And it's actually taking you out, and especially like a place like San Francisco, Silicon Valley, that's the epicenter of this type of like decoupling, you know, from real real life uh, and, and thrusting you into this place where you have to separate yourself from all of that, those trappings and literally, you know, go down a rabbit hole. Uh, of actual physical experience as opposed to virtual. And then at some point, while you're experiencing this or while you're hearing this show, you have to ask yourself, what exactly is this thing? I would say it's immersive theater. It's, there are a lot of things like this. It's similar to projects from places like Serenby Playhouse in the Atlanta area, multiple haunted houses in the U.S. around the world, various theater projects in New York. It's also a networking opportunity. Like I mentioned this on an earlier listener mail segment. People tend to want to be Promethean, whether or not they've like earned that feeling. We want to be the bringers of knowledge, often rather than the receivers. So this became a, a way of looking very cool to friends or colleagues. Met somebody at a business lunch, think they're dope. You want them to feel the same way about you? Slide them one of those little black cards. I can't tell you anymore. Absolute discretion, right? And then maybe it leads to better things in your working life. But what what else was the point? What was actually going on here behind the scenes of this behind the scenes underground endeavor? Yeah, it's not like this was a cheap thing to produce. You're talking about physical elements, like you said, with people working very hard to create a story and things and then going to various places throughout the city and planting a bartender, making sure that bartender is going to give out the information, making coins that have to go. I mean, it's a production. This is expensive stuff. Why would you spend all that money to do this? In multiple locations, too. We mentioned going to an arcade. That's another physical location with all of these kind of like bespoke sort of uh, psychedelic looking arcade machines. Um, One of which, when you put that coin in, like you were mentioning, Ben, a deity appears to you, which is a a theme that we're going to see throughout the story. Sort of looks almost like the creepy rabbit from Donnie Darko, uh, only it's more of like a half man's face with these weird eye stalks that don't have eyes uh, and, and and he in sort of like uh, again like serial killer voice disguiser voice gives you instructions on where to go next and you know starts feeding you these kind of philosophical lines about the praxis and all of that good stuff. So what was the point? An expensive production multiple rented locations in uh, the city with the highest cost of living in the country. It's not a it's not a it's not a small amount of overhead here. 
uh, what else was the Latitude Society and what were the motivations for creating it? We'll explore this after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Here's where it gets crazy. To understand the Latitude Society, we have to understand uh, the organization I mentioned earlier, Nonchalance, uh, along with two people, Jeff Hull and Kat Meller. Uh, Jeff Hull is the company's founder. He started Nonchalance in the early 2000s. Kat Meller is one, was one of the um, primary employees. And there were other people. There were, it takes a village, right, to make a conspiracy. There were artists, community uh, engagement experts, various engineers. The money for this came from Jeff Hull directly. He gave, he gave uh, $2 million, we came to find out, or that's, that's what's believed, that he gave $2 million to get this thing started. How does one end up with $2 million? such that you say, I want to make a weird conspiracy. 
a good way to make $2 million is to, you know, have money given to you through your family. We, we've talked about wealth in the United States and countries throughout the world that have a long history and how one of the best ways to just become filthy rich is to get it from people who came before you in your family. So um, there's something that happened with Jeff Hull, his father. Uh, he created a, an incredible company that was valued just under $500 million, and it was sold to Goldman Sachs in 1999 for $531 million. And maybe that's how he got that $2 million, but at least according to Jeff, in response to that Vice article that we mentioned before, he states that he actually made his wealth, or it began his wealth, working for his father's company before it was sold to Goldman Sachs. And that he became a partner when the firm was acquired by Goldman Sachs. So mainly, and he wrote to the SF Fist, and then you know he wrote uh, the same message device, as you said, where, where he was taking issue primarily with the implication that he was a trust fund kid. And he said he found it belittling, which is understandable. It's not a, it's not a phrase. Uh, I don't think it's a phrase a lot of people use to self-identify. You know what I no, mean? It, it's also inherently dismissive and unfair. People that are fortunate enough to be in that situation, it's one thing if you just lean on that money and do nothing or just you know live some opulent life of privilege where you don't actually contribute anything. But I would argue this is an example of taking that privilege and converting it into something interesting, which I think is, uh, you know, should be applauded. Mm. Well, the... Latitude Society is not the first iteration of this that nonchalance has done. They tried something earlier called the Jejun Institute, which I think is a cool name. Uh, that's what that uh, other documentary, the Institute, is about. Uh, this was another, a similar theme. You're crossing through the city of San Francisco on kind of a scavenger hunt immersive adventure game. But here's the, here's the secret. There's the secret to this secret society, and it's something that uh, some of the ascendants and descendants uh, did not care for when they learned about this. The Latitude Society was not just an artistic statement. It was a business and, in theory, was a very smart one. Hull was thinking in terms of a theme park of the mind. I would say is a fair description. Do you think that's a fair description, guys? I think it absolutely is. Um, and, and also this like this push pull between artistic, pure artistic expression and creativity and making money is like tale as old as time. Right. Uh, and so many artists, brilliant artists are very bad business people. Um, and, and it's interesting when you see that kind of like that, I guess, I don't know, conflict. There's another interesting kind of group that reminds me of this called Meow Wolf. And, and there's a fabulous documentary about them. And it started off as this collective of just like-minded weirdos in Santa Fe, which has kind of a stuffy art scene that's like very, you know, like uh, exclusive in that everything is very expensive, you know, and kind of boring. And like these kind of like scene kids, like who were into like DIY punk type shows and weird music started this group to kind of be a counterbalance to that. But it became so successful, they started getting investments from folks like George R.R. R. Martin uh, and essentially turned it into this giant business. Some people were less enthused about that direction than others. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. The, the, the weird thing is there's this 
intense dichotomy between what was presented internally at nonchalance and what was presented to people who were participating in this in this artistic endeavor. Uh, the idea is that they would one day be able to like like uh, it was startup thinking, right? Like, let's get it going. Let's prime the pump as much as we can. Let's go hard on the paint. And eventually we will monetize this. We will make it self-sustaining. Hull said the vision was to create an immersive narrative experience that rivaled a theme park ride in production value, but was embedded into the urban landscape of San Francisco. And they had a deck or a PowerPoint. And when the when it was presented internally, it was a, quote, growth-oriented business model with an identifiable product and service. So they were definitely talking turkey behind the scenes. It would not be easy to monetize this. It would be a tall milkshake because the society was, as you said, Matt, a hugely expensive endeavor. We're talking about even, even not talking about renting multiple properties in a very expensive urban area. Uh, we're talking about technical design, hours of work, uh, ideating and assembling this stuff, these elaborate ornate spaces. It took three years to build that first place, which really does have like this wooden slide. It's crazy. And when they finally opened it to members, people weren't sure how to react. And it's pretty impressive, too, that they did this for three years without spilling the beans. But again, the price tag on that, according to employee, former employees of the organization, was a cool two mil. Um, and here's why a lot of people got turned off. We've, we're talking about money that was started as investment, but how did they plan to monetize the user experience if we want to just keep being soulless and corporate about it? Once you got invited, once you were in, and you know you did the, you did the book one or the first mission, first adventure, then you, we said you could theoretically invite as many people as you wish. That's because the invitations were sold to you on a per-card basis. So... Let's say you're Paul Mission Control Decant. You want to invite some friends. Uh, you want to invite your pals, uh, Matt, Noel, and Ben to, to, this, to this adventure. Then you pay $25 a card. But later that was raised to $32 a card. And then you look around and you see on this website, there's all kinds of stuff you can buy. Very, very weirdly specific. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think it's interesting that people didn't kind of, that the people like got so bad out of shape because this was like, this is the deal from the beginning. You know, you, you, it's a closed website where you can't even log into it until you get that card with that unique code. And then once you go through, like you said, Ben, that book one experience, that's when you get access to what's called the marketplace. Um, and you can buy shirts with that slogan, absolute discretion, which the uh, author of the Vice article found very ironic, which I think is sort of the point. It, it's it's in like it's fun. The idea of buying a T-shirt that says absolute discretion. Um, and yeah, that's right. You buy these cards. Uh, you can distribute them to whomever you wish. And then the, doesn't that make it kind of like a I don't know, like a pyramid thing where you kind of like you you buy one you get it and then you buy more and then give it others and then they give it more and it branches off i guess not not really it's not yeah it's it's it's, it's a little different that it's not so certainly not uh taking advantage of folks in the same way yeah because you're not you're not making money from the cards that are sold after that's you. right no mm. you're absolutely and and like you know like i was saying earlier even though they have some uh, some language that's reminiscent of mlms there's not a baked in quota 
no, you, you don't get in trouble if you don't get 20 people per month or something like that. So it's not, it's not Ponzi-ish, it's not MLM, but they do want to make it profitable. Uh, the thing is, when you're talking $2 million uh, and, you're, and you're trying to recoup that uh, based on the sale of T-shirts and pendants and invitation cards, you're looking at a very large, a, a, a nearly Sisyphean hill to climb. Uh, it would be very difficult to cover that initial investment in a reasonable amount of time. Some journalists estimated the math. They said, okay, we think over the part, over the span of the Latitude Society during its heyday, maybe 2,000 people were given cards and participated in some part of the initiation. They went to the website. They never showed up to the place or they showed up to the place and then they left and just didn't pursue the rest of book one or they did the whole first book and then they said, okay, that's it. That was a great weekend, but I'm done. If 2,000 people did this, they participated in some way, then that means the most revenue from that part of the part of the um, business that Latitude could make was about $60,000, which is cool, but it's not $2 million. Uh, And so later, they did something that teed off a lot of the members, a lot of the existing members who were very into this uh, adventure in society. They instituted an annual membership fee. It's over 300 bucks. Uh, It's still less than a Burning Man ticket. People are quick to point out. Uh, But people were like, what is the mission of this changing? And to the, you know, to the participants, it felt like maybe it was, but to the creators, no, this was just a further pursuing the original plan. I think it's almost like the, they started, you know, the members started taking things upon themselves uh, because they like, really the vice article is, I think the, the most straightforward, like the film is interesting, but it almost has an agenda a little bit. Like it, it really, like you said at the top end, it almost feels like a weird kind of commercial for the thing. And it feels like it has a little bit of a, of an agenda, but the vice article is from the perspective of someone that goes through the whole process. And what ends up happening is, you know, this person starts wearing that uh, absolute discretion t-shirt and using it to identify other people who have done the experience in the wild. And then those people start connecting with each other on like forums. Then they start actually doing kind of little, you know, gatherings uh, that are sort of, I guess, un- not sanctioned or whatever they need it to be sanctioned, but they really do start to form a community around the lore and around the whole experience of this thing. You know, again, because it's almost like a religion at that point, or it starts to at least have the sense of community that a religion can have at its best. And so I think those people who really start to get a real value out of this in their lives start to see it becoming quote unquote becoming more commercial maybe that's where they start not digging that because they feel like it's taking something that's very special and personal to them uh and you know bastardizing it in some way but again to the creators this is what they had planned all along so is it really them doing anything but what they already kind of set out to do yeah and uh the writer for vice uh, Lydia Lawrenson, she she had quotes from several members. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. She had several quotes from members who were talking about this very thing, like wh- why the money? Why is this happening? And one of the big takeaways is that this felt to them like a gift that they had been given, like someone handed them 
a free card. Then they got to go through this experience and then they got to choose whether or not they paid for anything. Right now they were being told that they had to pay and it was like a gift became a burden essentially. But I'm sorry, what had to pay in order to continue doing what? Going to these things like they were doing real world events. So they, those were official events. There were official events, but then also just little, little gatherings of, of, of members privately. Right, right. Similar to a less sinister version of um, squirreling in Scientology, which we can talk about a little bit later. But squirreling is a Scientology term for when someone takes uh, what they describe as L. Ron Hubbard's technology or tech and they use it in an unsanctioned way. Uh, it's it's similar to um, maybe the way that the uh, Catholic Church in days of old looked at Protestants. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you're taking you're taking stuff that we both know is true, but you're doing the wrong, you're doing it the wrong way. You're doing or it the wrong. way like the the film industry looks at pirating movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. yeah maybe. I mean, it's like you're stealing. You're basically saying you're taking our stuff and you're using it, in a, in a, and and you're not like giving us our due, or like, yeah, I don't know, like. The paying part certainly is at the heart of it, but yeah, you're exactly right. I think squirreling is a perfect uh, comparison. Let's think too about um, social media and the internet. One thing that the internet has uh, made abundantly clear in every every culture and every iteration is that if people have something for free, there's something deeply offensive to people if that changes to a paid service. You know what I mean? New York Times. <clears throat> right. I say that as a guy with a subscription. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, really, really quickly, just slightly, just slightly off, off the subject. But it's sort of like what, you know, Apple is talking about uh, potentially putting podcasts, siloing podcasts behind paywalls or making it a subscription thing. Or it's a little vague what they're talking about doing. But that would be the, exactly what you're talking about, because Apple is sort of the arbiter of like this industry of like free content, you know, ad supported free content. And if all of a sudden that changed, I think people would like lose their minds. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned social media is because we can see clear parallels here, right? Social media a lot of the platforms thrive on exclusivity in the beginning, right? I can only have a Facebook page if I go to this school or then if later if I go to a school. Um, we, we see this time and time again. People want to be Promethea. They want to be in the know. And then as it grows and more people are involved, more people are aware of this, of this fight club, then the problems grow as well. It's a, a symptom of scale. If I wanted to be all Ted talky and pop sigh about it. Symptoms well, yeah, because they're, they're, they're doing testing on those early users. You know, they're like, they're literally beta testing everything, including that experience that we described to you at the top of this episode, like going in and checking out that book down the slide, all that stuff. They're testing to see how people react. And it's very, very helpful to keep it a low number. And how effective like it is in like making people want to continue on. You know what I mean? Like that experience, that first pop is what really gets you, you know, kind of converted almost, right? Where you're either like, wow, this is something really special. I was given this gift. They had to really tailor that experience to to get the exact uh, right kind of, you know, punch to make people feel that way. And imagine how cool it is, just objectively, how cool it is if you're, say, at a, at a, at a bar somewhere 
let's call it the sycamore, and you're rocking your absolute discretion tea, and then you, you know, you're just hanging out, and you see somebody come in like furtively and have a weird whispered conversation with the bartender, and they get this coin, and they turn around, and they see you, and their jaw drops, and you're like, ha ha, I'm one of them. Like, people love that stuff. That's why you have all these coded signals that like the when we did our episode on secret languages right you, you a city and a society speaks to itself in an ecosystem and i guarantee you that on any given day in a city there are people who are subtly communicating to one another right under your nose in in one method or another a signal by uh, something signaled by a piece of jewelry a particular piece of clothing Etc. I think it's I think it's so cool. But you guys are right. People had people had problems with this. Like a guy named Thomas Lotz, who was speaking with uh, Lydia Lawrenson over at Vice, objected because he felt the monetization was uh, a, a blow to the things about the society that were important to him and his colleagues. It gave them meaning. It seemed like there was a space where they were coming together as a community in a non-performative way. He felt like there was a genuine connection and they were taking, taking dedicated time to reflect on ideas. And a lot of these people are in, you know, very stressful day jobs. They're, they're very go, 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 you know, with high stakes and stuff. So the, the idea that you're hanging out with people and it's not about a work thing. It's just hanging out with people because you like hanging out and you like the stuff you do together. That That's a beautiful feeling. Uh, and that seemed very meaningful to people. And they liked being a, in a secret society. There was a story. We're part of the story. We're the audience and we're the author. That's amazing. But... You'll notice, astute listeners, we've been talking about the Latitude Society in past tense. Why? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So, latitude and problems. We're pretty, I think we're pretty clear about that. And the thing is, people agree on what they like about it, but then they they disagree on what they didn't like. As uh, Jeff Hull put it, his number one problem that he saw people having is that people weren't sure how to interpret this, how to digest it. He said the latitude society may have served multiple purposes, but ultimately it could not be all things to all people. So maybe everybody just wasn't on the same page. Maybe that's where the issues began. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and there's a, there's a quote here again from that Vice article from Matt Weinberger. Uh, he's a person who you know took part in, in the Latitude Society. And here's his quote. Some people treated it as a game. That makes sense, right? Some people as a social club and a networking opportunity. And some treated it as a religion. And he mentions that at some point there was a Reddit thread created by, you know, someone who had heard about the society uh, and then joined. And then this person who created this thread believed they joined a cult. So they took it very, very seriously and laid out a lot of the things that were not supposed to be spoken to non-members. And uh, this person, Matt, is saying that it kind of spoiled the fun of the society itself after everybody knew what it was, or at least a certain number of people. And here's another thing. Latitude wasn't just a business. It was a genre of business that we will call a startup. Startups have different rules. Startups have a very high rate of attrition. Startups can do enormously wonderful and disruptive things. They can also fall flat. They're risky. Uh, Like a lot of startups, nonchalance did not seem to have a very clear focus in the opinion of observers. Um, And they just ran out of money for the Latitude Society before they could finish the overall arc of the story they wanted to tell. Uh, The founder himself estimates that the daily cost of the Latitude Society, just keeping the lights on, keeping the rent paid, keeping the weird coins in circulation, 
That was three grand a day. Yeah. Uh, and, and apparently they didn't even have uh, a, a very, <laughs> let's say, developed business plan. Or, well, not business plan, but they, they weren't keeping books particularly uh, well. They, they didn't have uh, some of the most basic kind of bookkeeping sheets that you would have to have, especially with an operation that's expensive in a city as expensive as San Francisco. Um, at, you know, at any business, startup or otherwise, keeps something called a profit and loss uh, ledger. Um, which allows you to keep track of the comings and goings of money. You got to spend money to make money, but if your losses outweigh your profits, that's not a good look. Um, and this could well be an example of, you know, one of the, I guess, luxuries or privileges of being independently wealthy and sort of doing this like as a personal project, um, not being super meticulous about the bigger picture of the, of the finances. Yeah, yeah, there's something a little bit aristocratic about it. I could see critics uh, taking that stance. I'm always reminded of there's an Italian publishing house uh, that I, I really I, I really love. I, I respect the books they put out, and they're called Rizzoli, and I believe it's Rizzoli. The owner is this old or was this old school Italian aristocrat. And I was reading an interview with him where one day he just decided to build a hedge maze, like a huge hedge maze and invite his friends over. That's the kind of stuff that most people can't do. You know what I mean? And now we have to ask ourselves to your point, Noel, is, is the perspective then for this person, are they just thinking, I am, I am creating this thing that I want to give to you and the only reason money becomes involved is because I want to make it a thing that can stay around, you know, instead of something ephemeral. Uh, but at $90,000 a month, uh, this, these conversations have to happen. Um, so the, there were a couple of ideas on how to, how to stem the financial hemorrhaging. And one of those was let's stop emphasizing physicality let's move entirely to virtual reality and that's that's a bummer uh, that also makes me love your new york times example matt because we've seen so many print publications say okay we're going to go entirely online we're going to keep a subscription fee and so for people who have subscribed to a paper and received a physical copy for years and years and years they feel like <laughs> they feel like they're getting robbed because they don't have the thing and this is an even more extreme example, I would argue, because the entirety of the focus of the Latitude Society was in-person adventure, a type of a very clever type of augmented reality. That's really what's happening. So, of course, folks are going to push back against this. And there's another article by a former member uh, called uh, the author's name is Caveat Magister, and Caveat compares compares this again to Burning Man and says that the exclusivity of the Latitude Society may have gone too far, leading to that practice that Scientology would call uh, squirreling. And they, it, there was a, a really, I would say, inspiring organic thing to happen. Active members were like, you know, I don't really need to do the official experience and I don't really need to worry about my ascendant or whatever. I've met some people. We can just hang out. 
We can do our own thing inspired by this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's kind of like, you know, at some point, if you're a fan of Legos, at some point, you don't worry about what you're supposed to build from the box you buy. You just build your own stuff. There's still Legos and you're still having a heck of a time. Um, I, I just say I don't see anything wrong with what these folks are doing. And by this point, of course, yes, they're paying 300 something um, a year for a membership. Yeah. And of course, that it, the push to then have a membership whittled away at the membership very quickly, immediately. Um, and, you know, that that's that's obviously a problem if you're trying to build a user base, essentially, like a startup does want to do. Now, we've got some other criticisms from people here about the Latitude Society and what was happening there. And a big criticism comes from someone named Rebecca Power, who was known by the writer of uh, that Vice article that we discussed there. And she didn't have a great experience, essentially, going through it. Um, and it started on that book one experience where, you know, she looked at the book and everything because she was contacted almost immediately after that by the person that invited her to the society. And he stated something a little strange. Uh, something we didn't note before this is that in many of the rooms there, the physical space that you enter, there were cameras with, you know, lights as cameras generally do have like a CCTV camera has a light that lets you know you're being watched or that the camera's on at least or recording. And he mentioned to her that, oh, I was watching you when you when you went through the fable, when, you know, you sat down and you got that book read to you. Um, and that kind of creeped her out a lot. Uh, just the thought that someone was there actually watching her the whole time, not interacting with her, just surveilling her and observing her. So that was the first little thing that happened. But then she felt it got weirder from there. Yeah, she saw a uh, an imbalance uh, in in the agreement, uh, some kind of information asymmetry would be a dry phrase for it. Uh, you do have to sign this terms of service thing, right? Um, but as Rebecca Power found out, uh, there wasn't a for, formal procedure for releasing yourself from it. And she said, I know the employees are monitoring us, but who is monitoring them? And there's another. Oh, that's, a, that's such a good point, Ben. You, I totally forgot about this. That's before you even set up your appointment, right? When you sign that, so you don't, you have no idea what you're signing up for, and you're just going to put all your info in there. Exactly, exactly. And there's that that detail you mentioned about being observed is so creepy because she found out in this Facebook message that the person who invited her had been watching her the whole time, uh, so. She got spooked and she asked that the group deactivate her membership. Uh, so this is where we get like to the Foucault pendulum has the performance become real point. She says, when I left, I became a security risk. People I knew made vague threats that I would regret leaving or talking about it. A roommate of mine stopped telling me where he was going when he left the house. Friends I trusted contacted me and played stupid about their own involvement in order to suss out what I knew. That's wild. Like, imagine, imagine you can't, like, imagine you go to Disney World and you're supposed to spend a week there and you, you go for a day and you're like, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go. And then you, <laughs> like, you go home early and the next day you get these weird calls and messages from your friends who are like, 
better not talk about Disney World. Better keep it, keep it mouth. <laughs> the first rule of Disney World is you don't talk about Disney World. Forever. Yeah. I, d- I don't think they, those parks would function that way if that was. No, no. <laughs> I love it though. It's, it's like the. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do the oh, voice. No. I have this there Mickey Mouse thing in my head. He calls you late at night. What's wrong, oh, man? Do my voice, man. Come on. <laughs> Although, isn't there that secret members only club at Disney yes. World? Yeah, that's a thing. It's semi secret, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be nice. The menu seems cool. I, I want to stay on Rebecca Power just for a moment. So well, one of the other things that she really didn't like there is that at she went to an actual gathering, one of these things they call Praxis or a Praxis, Praxi, and someone there essentially doxed her, not really, but just, you know, mentioned they knew what she did and knew who she was, but it was said aloud. That's one of the main reasons that she left. And the really interesting thing about Rebecca is that she continued this kind of work afterwards. She started a thing that had a different name at the time. Uh, it's changed names, but now it is called Hoax, H-O-A-X. It is in, it's in San Francisco, and it's the same kind of thing. It's a company that creates experiences. They're, they're an interactive design studio, and they like to create, quote, novel situations and powerful experiences. So same kind of thing. She continued on to do that stuff just outside of this other group, Nonchalance. Mm, that's a very good point, Matt. Uh, so now we're reaching the end. We talked in past tense. Uh, you see some of the problems. Some people are worried about their own privacy. Uh, some people uh, have what they feel are ethical objections to the business model. And then also, you can understand this from the perspective of the employees of nonchalance and the people responsible for making these experiences, they might feel kind of underappreciated. Like, hey, man, I gave you a thing. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to keep it going. You know what I mean? You can't be like, you can't go to the, the sandwich shop, get a, get a free sandwich every day and expect those sandwiches to just appear. Um, we have to, it's a terrible comparison, but you, you get it. So after the membership fee rollout, there's internal division within nonchalance. Employees resign. And then Jeff Hull sanctions an article about the society where he says various critical things or various not, you know, super happy, fun times, holding hands, singing kumbaya things about the organization. And this itself is a violation of that absolute discretion policy, is it not? Uh, And then less than a week after that article publishes, Jeff shuts down the website. He leaves a note that the San Francisco House of Latitude is closed and the society closes down on Monday, September 28th, 2015. Uh, This was news, uh, reportedly, to several of the employees involved, uh, as happened, you know, recently in the days of the pandemic, some people just showed up to a job that no longer existed, which is a massive bummer. It really is. I, I do just want to point out, too, I think we've made it pretty clear, but a lot of these things, this idea of these rules, quote unquote, are very loose. And, and it's not like there's a set, like a code of ethics or conduct. You know, I mean, even their whole idea of, of discretion uh is ironic in a lot of ways because like it's a secret but it's also tell your friends 
So <laughs> it's, it's very loose, all of this stuff. And, and, and to the point where it's clearly meant to be a bit of an ironic performance art thing, almost commenting on the types of the way social media works uh, and, and the kind of, you know, what you're what you're saying, Ben, about how exclusivity in and of itself makes things more attractive. And now we've got things like uh, uh, this new social media platform, uh, Clubhouse, that's once again based entirely on exclusivity. And it's very much a Silicon Valley thing that's about networking and being more anonymous, less tied to your persona and more just based on the worth of the things that you say to other members. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of that that's sort of some of the folks that really started taking this seriously seem to have maybe maybe have been lost on them a little bit, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because again, it, it's the the definition of what this is changes based on the perspective of the people and their degree of involvement. So after Jeff Hall closes down Latitude Society, he goes on Facebook and he posts an update. Um, some people copied and pasted it, and then uh, the reactions were mixed. Some folks were like, you know, I get it. Um, and I sympathize with you. Some people were angry, like, don't, uh, you're ruining the game or you're ruining the community that I've come to love. Uh, Hole writes the following. He says, I've been rolling a boulder up a hill for four years and it kept getting heavier. It was my most audacious undertaking besides parenthood and getting to the top meant success recently as my shoulders began to give out under the weight. I looked around and see no relief in sight. I decided to do the most healthy thing I could possibly do. Let go. Oh, man. Where do you think that boulder went? I wonder what's <laughs> on the other side, you know? That's the intro (laughs) to the third game, right? (laughs) That's right. You you go throughout cities in the United States and you're you're searching for a 20-foot-tall boulder. That's just rolling downhill somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Randomized locations. The pieces are there. We'll workshop it. Yeah. So so he writes this thing on Facebook, and then he also writes a, a large post on the website, which is The Latitude. Dot com, And if you go to the Wayback Machine at archive.org, you can find it. It's uh, HTTPS colon slash slash the latitude dot com slash book slash one. And if you put that in, you can find this thing that he wrote called Epilogue from the San Francisco House. And you can get uh, a lot of the info in there. And you can really read at least Jeff's version of events and uh, how it how the whole thing ended and why. And, you know, he said it'll be an enduring, inescapable mystery, how a game built to offer shared whimsy, inspiration, play can result in trauma for the people most closely involved, which feels like an acknowledgement of the um, of the conflicts that the employees had on the night the society closed. About 100 people went to to a local bar that's important during that first mission the Sycamore, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, And they got together, they commiserated. Um, I believe many of the former members or people who met one another through this remain friends today, which is awesome. Uh, It's sad that it was an abrupt end to such a bold endeavor. But again, people still remember their times, their experiences in the group. It left an impression. And 
you know, like to your point about uh, Rebecca Power, this is likely not going to be the last thing of its sort. Because I, I don't know, this is just my opinion here. I think this stuff is cool. I would, I like the idea, as long as no one's getting hurt, you know, full speed ahead. But what do you think? What what can you guys glean from this? Would, would you participate in something like this if you got a mysterious envelope? Or uh, no, it would need to be better than an envelope. What would it be? Dude, like, if I got a credit a- card like that, I'm I'm going. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm there. Please break me out of this thing a little bit uh in on nonchalance.com n-o-n-c-h-a-l-a-n-c-e.com slash about you can read the mission mission statement essentially of nonchalance and this is the way it starts picture in your mind a cartoon character sleepwalking now it goes on to talk about this thing that they call divine nonchalance this is this concept that the sleepwalking character somehow moves on through the city without ever getting hurt somehow because if they're just casually walking, even though they're asleep and nothing has hurt them just by chance. Really what this is speaking to me, whether they're saying, saying it or not is imagine that we are all just sleepwalking in our day-to-day lives. And the, what they are going to do is break us out of that. If only momentarily with these kinds of experiences that they're creating, like the jejun Institute, I think the thing they created, which is a whole could be a whole other episode or just, you know, something for you to check out on your own that we won't spoil here. Um, It's worth your time. It's fascinating because we definitely spoiled the Latitude Society. (laughs) Yeah, 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 (laughs) definitely spoiled that part. But this the efforts put in to changing people's minds slightly to getting us to think a little differently by placing us in what they call a genuine space and giving us us, a user an experience like this. I think that is genuinely uh, worthwhile. I think you can, you can create great change in an individual and a group of people that way. Uh, And it could be highly positive, but it could also be it could also be really dangerous because it feels like the same thing that Nexium did, but with nefarious goals at the center of it, right? And with any cult that started, it's the same kind of thing. You're going to give somebody a little different experience, and you're going to try and change the way they're thinking a little bit, remove part of that identity that's kind of weighing them down every day. And in this case, instead of shaping them to then just constantly fund money, which they kind of did at the end there, right? Like a startup. Um, it wasn't It wasn't that crazy, right? I don't know. It, to me, this feels positive. Yeah. I, I think we're all kind of on the same page there. Like it, it does feel like overall, in principle, these are cool things to have in the world. Bust out of the matrix. You know what I mean? Hack your cognition and your perspective. What's, what's not to love? <laughs> uh, but... It is so fascinating because these things are possible and they're worth doing. We'd love to hear your opinions uh, or your experiences with things like this, uh, because I'm, I'm sure there are more examples of this phenomenon out there. And also question, folks listening today, uh, if you were creating something like this, what sort of experience would you give people? And maybe the, maybe the, other, the other side of the coin here is when do endeavors like this go whoosh, whoosh, too far? Uh, let us know. You can find us on the internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we like to recommend here's where it gets crazy. 
uh, on Facebook if you are a Facebook user. Uh, we also have a phone number. If you do not sip the social meds, you can dial us directly. That's right. We are one eight three three stdwitk 3 minutes is the time you shall have to leave your message. Please let us know if it is okay to use your message on one of our weekly listener mail episodes and let us know what to call you or, or not call you or if you want to be completely anonymous. We are absolutely cool with that. That's right. Call us and let us know the kind of experience you want to give people. Uh, I think I told you guys about the interactive cannabis slash hallucinogen facility I want to create, right? Yes. We've talked yeah. Before. yeah, yeah. I'm I, on board. You, you should, I have elaborate plans for that. And one day it's going to happen. So if you're a Jeff Hole like individual and you've just got $2 million, $8 million lying around, hit us up. <laughs> um, if you don't want to do that stuff, please check out our show on YouTube, youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can watch videos of all of these episodes that are coming out. Uh, especially our strange news and listener mail episodes. You'll find stuff there. Um, check it out. Like and subscribe as you do if you're down with it. And if you don't want to do... Oh, and also, hey, why not leave a review on whatever podcatcher you use to listen to this show? It would be great just to see any and all of those. It helps the show more than you know. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff... You can always reach us the good old-fashioned way. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. 
Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.